Good morning. Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. I mentioned that a few weeks ago. It's a quote from Soren Kierkegaard. Um, and I think it's applicable to uh, this weekend of Thanksgiving, right? Part of uh, understanding life backwards is reflecting and giving thanks, yes? Uh, and I feel like that's one of the gifts of this, um, of this weekend, of this, this holiday, is to remember to reflect, to remember to look back, and in response to that, uh, to give thanks, to give thanks for the good things in our lives. Um, I also think that this quote, that life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards, I think it really summarizes some pretty important aspects to the Christian faith. Uh, one is that uh, faith helps us put one foot in front of the other so that we live life forward. We live life in hope. Uh, but ours is not a, a blind faith, but it's, it's one that looks back, that recognizes the, the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God in the past, which then fills us with a sense of confidence and a sense of hope, out of which we then live life forward. So these are not necessarily two separate things, right? Understanding life backwards and then living life forwards. These are very connected things. And really, I think, kind of describes in a pithy little sentence uh, the life of faith. Uh, one of my favorite hymns, Be Still My Soul, has this great line. Be still my soul, your God will undertake to guide the future as he has the past. And I think that that, uh, well, we, we have a doctrine that I think speaks to this that is called the sovereignty of God. Uh, we, we had our new members class this last month and we were talking about what are some of the different kind of core pillars of our faith. And one of them is that God is sovereign, um, which means simply that God is in charge, though often it might not seem like it. Though often we look around at the world and there are all kinds of evidence to the contrary, we firmly believe and hold to the truth that God is in charge. Um, now, this does not mean that everything that happens, God takes joy in, right? These are different things to say that and to say that God is sovereign. Um, God does not delight in evil or in injustice or in suffering. Uh, yet, he is still sovereign. These are things that we hold together um, and sometimes are very difficult to hold together. We're coming to the end of the book of Acts. We've, been, uh, we've spent this fall walking through this book. We've skipped over some sections because it's a long book and it would have taken us a lot longer to get through it if we went through every part of it. But as we come to the end of the book of Acts, um, I think what we see as we, as we reflect back over all 28 chapters that we've been given that takes place over several decades, uh, what we see is a God who is sovereign, who is at work in and through people and in and through the events of history to accomplish what he wants in the world, ultimately. There is suffering, there is evil, there are challenges, but ultimately, God is at work. And, and we reflect back all the way to chapter 1, where Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. Like, this is, this is the plan, right? You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. That's the plan that he sets out for the disciples in chapter 1 of Acts. And by chapter 28, where we are today, 
we pause and we take a moment and we recognize just how that has happened and the circuitous path that God has led his people on so that at the end of the book, where we're at now, there are churches that have sprung up in all these different cities and there are more and more people that have heard the good news of Jesus Christ. More and more people who have recognized that Christ has forgiven their sins and offers them free life. So, um, we're going to read just the last few verses of uh, the book of Acts from chapter 28. But I, I, I do have to set the stage just a little bit because we have skipped over um, an epic journey that Paul has taken. So Paul has had in his mind for a while now the goal of Rome. Paul longs to go to Rome. That's where he wants to go and preach and teach and see the church flourish in Rome, the capital of the world at the time. Um, but what happens is he's in Jerusalem, um, and he gets, uh, he gets arrested by the Jewish leaders there. And he has a series of trials, and it's with Jewish leaders, it's with Roman leaders, and they kind of pass him back and forth, and no one's quite sure that he's actually done anything wrong, but he still is in trouble. And, uh, and finally, Paul, uh, he takes advantage of his dual citizenship. He was uh, raised as a Hebrew, he's a Pharisee. Um, but he has a Roman, uh, I believe it's his father. And so he's able to claim Roman citizenship, and he appeals to Caesar. It's kind of this last resort. I don't think I'm going to get a fair trial here. Take me to see Caesar in Rome. I appeal to Caesar. And so that's one of the rights of a Roman citizen. So they ship him off to Rome. Uh, and it's hard to know whether Paul was thinking strategically about this is my chance to get to Rome or whether he just is like, this is my only chance for freedom, for justice. But regardless, he's off on a ship to Rome. Uh, he gets shipwrecked. He swims ashore to the island of Malta where he's bitten by a viper where the people of Malta say, clearly you're a criminal because this is karma. You survived the shipwreck, but now you got a viper. Uh, but he doesn't swell up. He's, he's uh, totally healthy. And so then they change their mind, and they're like, maybe you're a god. And he says, no, 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 I'm just Paul. Uh, and finally, eventually, he lands in Rome. But he's under house arrest. He's chained, most likely, to a centurion, to a, a, a guard, 24-7, uh, uh, even though he's living in his own house. And that... Oh, uh... And what he does, uh, he, this is kind of his pattern in every city that he would visit, is he first meets with the Jews. Uh, and you'll see what happens in Rome is often what happened in the cities that he visited as he first met with the Jews and then met with the, the non-Jews, the Gentiles, the nations. All right, that's enough background. <laughs> Here we go. Starting in verse 23 of chapter 28. So they, the Jews, arranged to meet Paul on a certain day, and they came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning until evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. And from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves, and they began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. He said, the Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes. Otherwise, 
they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Lord, thank you for your word. We ask Jesus through your spirit, you would be our teacher this morning. That you would help us to be a people who see and hear and turn and are healed by you. Do that work in our midst this morning, Lord. Amen. All right. This is the end of the book of Acts. Um, Acts, so, so Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and Acts. It's kind of a two-parter, right? And both of them are journey stories. Luke orients his Gospel, uh, his account of Jesus' life and teaching, as this journey from Bethlehem and Nazareth, Jesus' growing up area, as this journey from there to Jerusalem. Everything in Luke kind of builds towards Jesus' death and resurrection in Jerusalem. And uh, he uses this language of journey, like Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. That's this phrase that, uh, that Luke uses a number of times. And Acts, similarly, is this journey. book. It's a road trip, right? The road trip is from Jerusalem to Rome. And it's not just a singular person, right? The book of Acts follows some of the early disciples early on, then it kind of follows Peter, and then there's Philip. And then eventually we get to Paul, and it largely focuses on Paul's journey. But the overall journey of the book of Acts is of the church and the gospel message and its journey from those first few disciples right in Jerusalem, ultimately to Rome and then the uttermost parts of the world. But we get to the end, and, uh, and the book just kind of ends. <laughs> right? I don't know if you felt that when we read those last few verses, if you were expecting that... Uh, that wrap-up verse where it's like, and then they lived happily ever after, or something, whatever the Acts version of that would have been. Uh, we don't get that. Acts ends with Paul chained up to a guard in a house in Rome. He says he was there for two years, and then that's it. Uh, but I think that the way that that, uh, the way that, that ending is there Uh, is illustrative for us, right? It it helps us understand something of the connection of Acts to our lives, which is that the story of Acts is still going on, right? The story of the church and the story of the gospel's expansion and advancement deeper into the world and deeper into people's lives is still happening here at Sanctuary with you and and with me. When we we first started this series, uh, I was talking about how it's often known so the, what we call the book of Acts is kind of short for the Acts of the Apostles. And some people have said, no, a better title would be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. That It's really the Holy Spirit that's animating the, the life of the early church. And I said, okay, well, if we're going to be truly robust in our naming of this book, here's what it should be. It should be the Acts or activity of Jesus Christ through his church on the earth empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, that's way too long to put at the top of the Bible on the top of each page there. But that really is 
the, the sense of, of what this book is about. It's about Jesus' continuing work, the resurrected Christ, continuing his work through the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that, of course, has not ended with the book of Acts. Jesus is still active at work in the world through his church, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The, the, in the Greek, um, the book ends with two really powerful words. Uh, and it's speaking about what Paul is doing while he is chained. He is preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God and about the person of Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. Now, if ever there was a juxtaposition, <laughs> right, or a, you know, what, a, what a way to end this book where Paul is, is in prison, and yet he is, his activity, which is, again, the continuing activity of Christ through his church, yeah. with boldness and without hindrance. There's a freedom that is ironic, actually, given Paul's situation with which he is going about his work, the work that God has called him to. Bearing witness to Jesus. That's his work. These circumstances were not ideal uh, for Paul. And I think uh, one of the lessons that, that I draw from this is kind of a, a paying attention to my own circumstances in my life and thinking, and I'm assuming that this is relatively true for all of us, that there's probably something or some things in our lives that if we could just snap our fingers and change, we would. None of us are 100% completely satisfied with every circumstance in our life, is my guess. I think that's a safe assumption. Whether that's some aspect of our finances or some, as some aspect of our relationships that we're in or our vocation, our work. Maybe if it's even our location, like we literally want to move somewhere else. Uh, and I think that the same would be true of Paul. Paul's not uh, thrilled that he's in chains, right? He would probably rather not be in chains, have the freedom of movement to do what he's done in all of these other cities where he's gone and built the church. But Paul has this perspective on his calling and his perspective on God that allows him to both be in chains and yet to be pursuing his calling with boldness and without hindrance. And I think that that perspective comes back to this, this sense of the sovereignty of God. The sense that even in chains, God is still in charge and at work uh, bringing about the things that he wants to see happen on earth. Even through Paul who is chained up to a Roman guard. And we get a little bit of a perspective on this through some of the letters that Paul writes. So Paul, it says here at the end, Paul uh, is imprisoned and under house arrest in Rome for about two years. And uh, based on other accounts and, and, and history, our best guess is what happens to Paul after this is that he's released, he travels some more, visits some other places, perhaps even visits Spain, right? Kind of the uttermost parts of the known world at that time. And eventually, he's rearrested, brought back to Rome under Nero's rule and is martyred under Nero's persecution of the early church. Most likely, that's kind of what happens with the rest of Paul's life. But here he is. He's under house arrest for two whole years. And clearly, a lot of people are coming to him, and he's witnessing, teaching, proclaiming the good news to all of them. 
but he also writes letters because he's got a lot of time on his hands. <laughs> and we have a handful of these letters. Sometimes they're called the prison epistles. Uh, Philippians is one of those, a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, and it's known as this letter of joy. Again, Paul, chained to a Roman centurion, not free to leave the house, writes a letter to a church that is known for its joy. You don't do that unless you have a bigger perspective than that, that, that God is up to something else here. God is up to something bigger here. I just want to read the first few verses of Philippians for you because Paul talks about what's going on in his life right now. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of the partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains... Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord, and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Picture Paul chained to a guard. And he says, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. There's so much going on there, and I'm not going to preach another sermon on Philippians 1, though I really... I'm inspired. It's such a great passage. But that verse there, verse 12, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel is a powerful uh, statement of faith, right? If he, just by observing his circumstances, one might not come to that conclusion. <laughs> um, but Paul has this sense that there's something deeper going on. There's something bigger going on here, that God is actually at work even through the confinement of imprisonment, that the gospel is, is free and is being loosed and is, is reaching more and more people and is shaping Paul. and Even the guards, even the ones that are chained to him, he's like, they know, right? They know. So as we think about our circumstances, none of us presently are uh, in prison or chained to a guard the way that Paul was. But all of us face circumstances that we might like to change in some capacity. Uh, and, and that's fine. That's not a bad thing in and of itself. I don't think that the desire to seek out a new and a better job um, is a wrong desire, right? Now, it, it can grow to becoming the only thing that we pursue in life. And I think that's when it, uh, it takes on a level of importance that greater than God, and I think that's when we get into trouble, right? When it becomes this idol. But these desires are not, are not bad, this desire for change. I don't, I don't think that Paul 
if given the option, I think he would have gladly chosen freedom, right? Uh, and yet, he maintained this perspective that said, while I am here, I trust that this is not just by accident, that there is something about this that is not beyond God's redeeming power. And I think that is the challenge and the invitation for us to have that perspective in our lives that, that, that what is happening or what has happened has the potential to be used by God to advance the gospel. And when I say advance the gospel, I think of that old song, Deep and Wide, right? That, that there's a deepening of the gospel's advancement in my own life, that, that it, it, it works its way into more and more areas in my own life, but also wide, like it spreads, and more and more people and more and more parts of our society are transformed by the power of the gospel. Deep and wide. So uh, it was Summer's birthday a week and a half ago. Uh, and I, uh, I took Summer to see a, a new movie out there called Instant Family. Uh, it's with Mark Wahlberg, so you know it's good. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's about, if you haven't seen any ads for it or seen it, it's about a, a couple who wants to adopt through the foster care system. And... Uh, they, they seek out, uh, they're like interested in a child, and then of course the child has siblings, they end up with three in their home, and uh, chaos and hilarity ensue. Um, and uh, for those of you that don't know, that this was something that Summer and I, uh, over two years ago, started talking about. And uh, most of you have had the chance to meet Carter and Caleb. They are now, you know, as of the end of June, they're with a different foster family uh, closer to their birth mom. And uh, my friends, uh, this was not a good birthday gift. <laughs> this was a swing and a miss. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> we, uh, we were both just emotionally spent, depleted at the end of that movie. Because, of course, uh, it's Hollywood, right? And so the end of that movie is, I won't spoil it for those of you that are going to go see it, uh, but it's Hollywood. Like, that's the end of the movie is Hollywood. <laughs> Uh, and, and I think that as we imagined what our story through this journey might look like, I think we kind of pictured that ending. Um, but that's not the ending that we got. And I, ending is even not even the right word to use. I, I think we're still kind of trying to sort through, you know, what the last... Yeah, it's a journey. It is a journey. Still trying to process some of what the last couple years uh, have been like and, and what, what that was about. And I, you know, I... <laughs> I read the end of the book of Acts, and it just kind of ends, and I kind of feel like that was, that's kind of our, that feels apt to what happened with us in um, bringing Carter and Caleb into our home and uh, parenting them for a year and a half and then sending them back to another foster family. And um, Yeah, our, that part of our story has not yet, and maybe never will be, this side of heaven wrapped up in a neat little bow. Um, and so... Understanding that Paul's situation is very unique to him, and understanding that each one of us has unique circumstances, uh, unique to ourselves. I've been trying to think through, like, how, how, do we, how do we make sense of that for us? Can, can, we, can we say uh, what has happened to us has served to advance the gospel? Because that's what I want to say. That's what I want to say. 
And, uh, and the reality is, is that I can't say it and then point to all of this evidence. Like, I don't have a bullet-pointed list of the ways in which all that we went through and um, the, both the joy and the pain and the hardness, all of it, uh, you know, I have a bullet point list of all the ways that it advanced the gospel, both in our own lives, the lives of Carter and Caleb, and the lives of our community. But I can say that in faith. I can say that in hope that what happened to us, this circumstance, advanced the gospel. Even though I don't have a ton of clarity about how, or about the specifics. Um, but in, in, in faith and in hope, I trust that God was using that to shape Summer and I, and to shape our kids, that they're not going to be the same. That the gospel is going to be deeper into their lives because of what we experienced. Um, and in faith and in hope, I can say that about Carter and Caleb, that they came and they experienced the love of Christ through you all on Sunday mornings. You guys were part of that. Whether you wanted to be or not, <laughs> you were part of that. Um, and, and, and that's how, that's how I can say what Paul says, that through what has happened, the gospel has been advanced. And this, I think, uh, is how we start to um, understand and live into the reality of God's sovereignty. That there's times, there's, there's places where we can look back with confidence. We can look back. I mean, certainly we do that as we read the Gospels, as we come and we remember every week Christ's death and resurrection. We look back to concrete events. But we also look forward, or sometimes even backwards, and, and the, the things are less concrete, or the, or the clarity around um, why is not there. But I do think that there is an invitation to those of us who believe that God is good, that God loved the world, and that's why he sent Jesus Christ into the world, was out of love. And if, if that is God's character, and if that is his nature, and he is all-powerful and overseeing everything, and he is sovereign, then in faith I can say, okay, I may not understand it. I may not be able to point to uh, very concrete examples of how or why yet. Um, but the circumstances of my life have the capacity to advance the gospel in my life, in the lives of my neighbors. And that's comforting to me. It's challenging to me. But at a deeper level, ultimately, that comforts me, that God is sovereign. Uh, this is, in the church calendar year, this Sunday is Christ the King Sunday. Hopefully you've picked up on some of that language in the psalm that Tammy read, uh, in some of the songs that we've sung this morning. Um, one of them that we sang in the first song, Victors in the Midst of Strife. We sang that in Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee, about ourselves victors in the midst of strife. And if that doesn't describe <laughs> the kind of tension that I imagine Paul felt in his situation at the end of Acts, 
and describe all of us in some form or another, victors in the midst of strife. We can only say that if we believe that God is actively at work for good for us, though we may not know how or may not be able to clearly see how. So this Sunday is a Sunday, Christ the King Sunday, where we, um, we remember that Christ is King, Lord over all. Of course, uh, it also means that next Sunday is the beginning of Advent, where we remember both Christ's concrete physical first coming, the incarnation, God taking on flesh in the form of a fragile baby who knew suffering, and yet, who was also king of the universe that he made. We hold these things together. The human and the divine meet in Christ. So the invitation this morning is to consider Paul, to think about his life and his work at the end of Acts, to see that the end of Acts isn't really the end of Acts, that we are part of that continuing, ongoing story, and that God is sovereign over all, that he is working his will in this world, though it is hard to see. So I wonder if we're able to say, sometimes we're able to say concretely with distinct evidence that what has happened to us, what has happened to me, has served to advance the gospel in my life and in the world. Sometimes we're given that gift. Many times, much of the time, I think, that is an invitation to say that in faith and in hope that that is true.